Hey, good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Let's try this again. Good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? I was say, room is way too packed not to have crazy energy, and I'm feeding off of your energy, so I need your energy to feed my energy. My name is Troy, my wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us, I want to say welcome. As Zenobia said, do us a favor, fill out that information so we can get our team to reach out to you, connect with you. We got a free gift for you, as well as just moving you ahead in connecting and finding family. Uh, a few weeks ago, I preached about the importance of community. And one of the ways you can do that, you can't just find community by coming to church. A lot of people don't have that uh, ability to just walk up to complete strangers and start you know, this conversation. And relationship. So you do that by reaching out through your connection card. We reach out and do our best to connect you. Uh, she also talked about growth track, which is another opportunity to do that. There's just so many cool ways in Victory to be able to move forward in connecting. Um, I do want to take a moment. I'd like to take a second and just always thank those who support Victory uh, financially every month. We have people who give, people who tithe. And because of that, we're able to do so many things in the four walls as well as outside of the four walls. And Every month, we highlight a different outreach that we're doing um, globally or, or locally. And what we're focusing on in January into the beginning of February is the water filters through Convoy of Hope. So Convoy of Hope is our global disaster partner. So when something happens globally, whether it be a, a flood or a hurricane or a tornado or whatever it might be, Convoy of Hope is on the scene. And we're, we're, we're always partnering with them financially. And one of the things that we love to do is through the ministry of these water filters. And so you've heard me talk about them a couple times. One water filter provides 100,000 gallons of clean water. That's, it's insane to me to even think of. And so because of those that give faithfully every month, we are already able to purchase a certain amount of those water filters and get them ready. And then we always say, hey, if you're wanting to do something on top of that, you're more than welcome to. One water filter is $25. And so again, because of those that faithfully give every month, we already set aside money in our budget to be able to buy water filters, but then whatever happens on top of that, we send with it. And so I didn't check this week, been a little busy, but last week I told you we were at 40 total water filters. Come on, give God praise for that. And so I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to do the math up here, but 45 times 100,000 is a lot. It's like 4.5 million gallons of water. Uh, and I just think that's cool because, you know, if, if you serve on a dream we were in our big huddle this morning talking about the impact we're making locally, um, but also to be able to see the impact we're making globally, and I think that's pretty cool. Uh, Zoe mentioned the small groups. Guys, I I'm so excited about this for our church, and I'm proud of our church, because we have different groups this semester. Uh, and as you walk out today, not only do you have the card that you can look at, but all of those small group leaders will be in the lobby, and you can connect with them and ask them for more detail about what they're teaching or where they're located and it's really cool because not only do you see the diversity in the groups, but you see the difference in locations. And so we have groups all the way from Murfreesboro through Nashville. So Murfreesboro, Smyrna, Laverne, Antioch, Nashville, there are groups happening. Here's what's cool. There are two groups happening every night of the week. That's cool, right? So, you know, if Monday works for you, great. If it doesn't, Tuesday. If not, Wednesday. If not, Thursday. If not, Friday. We've got some at people's houses. We've got some here at the church. And so it's just a really cool time for us as a church see what God's doing. And I really want to encourage you to look into those groups, sign up one. We've got some that are just for women. We've got some for couples. We've got some that have kids, you know, childcare. If you have kids, we got some for youth. And it's just, it's just a really, really cool time. Um, so anyway, last but not least, before we get into the word, I, as we're in the season of great growth, we've seen God doing some great things throughout this year. And I've been preaching that this is the year of rebuilding. Uh, I want to continue to urge you to invite people in this season. Uh, when you come out of 2020 and 21 and 22 and everything's kind of rebuilding and getting back to a sense of normal, uh, this vision that I feel like God gave us for this year is not to rebuild back to normal, but to rebuild back to better than normal. But I think in that, people are hungry for God. People are hungry for truth and, and just real um, direction and leadership in this season of life. And I believe that people will come to church when they're invited. And so I want to challenge you. There's somebody in your life right now that would love to be invited to church. They would love to sit beside you at church. And you can do that through word of mouth. We have some invite cards that you could grab. But make that your mission this week. When you wake up tomorrow morning, ask yourself, who this week am I bringing back next week? And I'll tell you, I got a word for you next week, all right? It's ready. Uh, it's it's going to be the second week of small group signups. It's the week before water baptism. It's a big Sunday. Uh, so it's going to be a good Sunday to bring them. But, but I got something for you today, too. Y'all ready for something today? 
All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6. Nehemiah is in your Old Testament. Uh, you can look at it on your paper, paper Bible. You can do it through your phone. Another thing you need to think about is our app. We have an app, and you can give on that app. You can sign up for all of these ministries on our app, as well as my sermon notes are on the app, along with uh, the scriptures. And so if you're ever like, man, I wish I would have been able to take a picture of what he said write it down fast enough because I, you know, they give me a time limit. So I got to go in here or we'd be here till one o'clock in the afternoon. And so all those notes are on that app. So I encourage you to get that. But Nehemiah chapter six, if you are visiting or new to what's happening, uh, Nehemiah has been kind of, it's been impressed on Nehemiah's heart. He's a man in the Bible by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was attacked. The walls were torn down. He has this heart this move on his heart to rebuild the walls. You want to rebuild the walls because rebuilding walls around a city is kind of like having doors on your house. It's, it's the protective aspect of your city. So now you can actually, you know, live in peace. And so we've kind of followed Nehemiah's journey. And we talked about how he got help from people. We talked about how God provided resource. And then last week, we talked about how all of a sudden enemies showed up and discouragement showed up. And we talked about what to do when you're facing discouragement. And in chapter 6, not only is the enemy still around, but the enemy does something really unique, or at least that we think is unique, but we're going to find out that it's pretty ancient, the, the concept. Uh, but that's where we start reading. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. We'll read about eight verses and get into the word from there. It starts off, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and the rest of our enemies. So these were the enemies. They heard that we had finished building the wall and that there were no more gaps left in it. Although we still had not set up the gates in the gate. So the walls are rebuilt, but they haven't yet put the gates in place. And so the enemy sees, we better jump on this before they finish it. It says, so Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message suggesting that I meet with them in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. This was a trick of theirs. Everybody say trick. This was a... This was a trick of theirs to try and to harm me. He identifies that. So he says, I sent messengers to say to them, I'm doing something important here. I'm doing important work, and I can't go down there. What I'm doing is important. I can't deal with your tricks. I'm not going to let the work stop just to go and see you. They sent me the same message four times, and each time I sent them the same reply. I'm not going to stop working, fools. Then Sanballat sent one of his servants to me with a fifth message, this one in the form of an unsealed letter. I'm going to talk more about that at the end of the message. And here's what it read. Geshem tells me that there's a rumor going around among the neighboring peoples that you and the Jewish people, Nehemiah, that you and the Jewish people intend to revolt. And that's why you're rebuilding this wall, that you're not rebuilding this wall for the better of that you're going to revolt. And on top of that, he also says, you plan to make yourself king and that you're going to have, you're going to arrange for some prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem that you are the king of Judah, that this whole thing is about you. His majesty is certain to hear about this. So I suggest that you and I meet and talk about this situation. I suggest that you come off the wall. Let me give it to you another way. Let me try to trick you a different way to get you come off the wall. Nehemiah sent a reply to him. Nothing of what you're saying is true. You yourself. And they were trying to frighten us into stopping work. The title of my sermon today is The Oldest Trick in the Book. The oldest trick in the book. Am I? Is that better? Y'all hear me good? The oldest trick in the book. Um, about a year and a half ago, Darla and I got the opportunity to go with some friends of ours to a restaurant in Nashville called the House of Cards. Have y'all heard about this restaurant? It's, it's like a magic theme. And so there's like close magic happening uh, for you while you're waiting on your table or you're done eating. There's like secret rooms where the doors slide open and you can go in. And then once you're done eating, there's like a 15-minute magic show, has a room that seats about 60 people, and you get done eating, and then while they're moving you out and moving new people in to eat, they take you into this room, and you sit down and you watch just a kind of a 15-minute magic show. 
And I've always loved magic. I just love that concept. I like to be tricked. I like to try to figure out how they do it. It's just, I don't know how to explain it. When we were children's pastors, I would use magic tricks to share the gospel. Like, it just was always something I was interested in. If I watch America's Got Talent, I don't care about any of those people but the magicians. I just want to watch it. And, and part of it, if I'm honest with you, I just want to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be able to say, I know how he did that. And so because I've watched a lot of magic over the years, I've kind of learned some of the ins and outs and different things that kind of go, okay, I know how that works. And so we're, we're in this show, this magic trick's happening, and this guy starts to do this magic trick, and I immediately go, I know what he's doing. And so because I know what he's doing, I can already decipher what his ending result's going to be. And so he's going to reveal this card, and I know it's going to be the three of diamonds. So I, I lean over to Darla, and I go, watch this, babe. It's the three of diamonds. And she's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, watch, it's going to be the three of diamonds. And so the trick happens, and boom, three of diamonds. And she's like, whoa, cheering on the magician, you know, and we get ready to leave. And she looks at me, and she goes, how did you know that? Like, how did you know that? And I said, well, here's the deal. Like, I've watched so much magic that a lot of times, whether, you know, it's this trick or it's that trick, the foundation of them are, are pretty the same. It's kind of a, you know, look this way while we do something this way kind of concept. And I said, so if you, if you know what they're doing, you can kind of predict where it's going. And so watch this. I said, so it was a new magician, and it was a new process, but it was the same trick. You know what I mean? Like it was, this, it was a new process. He, he did it different. This time it was with cards instead of this. But, but at the root of it, it was the same trick. The reality of life for Christians is that we have a real enemy. We have an enemy that doesn't want our marriages to succeed. We have an enemy that doesn't want us to understand grace, doesn't want us to walk in freedom, doesn't want our kids to grow up and love the Lord, doesn't want our finances to be stewarded well. We have a real enemy that is out to get us. But here's another reality. Our real enemy is not creative. The enemy that you and I deal with, he's not creative. And the same struggles that you and I are dealing with today are the same struggles that believers faced Back in the beginning of human history. I'll give you some examples. Uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, David is tempted by looking at Bathsheba bathing, which is awkward, on the roof, right? Fast forward, we're tempted by pictures of people on Instagram. See what I mean? So David's tempted by Bathsheba while she's bathing on the roof, and we're tempted by people doing things on Instagram. Uh, the enemy tried to stop God's calling on Samson's life by sending Delilah to distract him. God tried to stop the calling on my life by sending Kelly Kapowski to distract me. You know what I mean? I got any Saved by the Bell fans in here? She was straight from the devil. You know what I mean? Even that name, Kapowski, just wrong. But it's the same tricks, you know what I mean? Like, like Adam and Eve were deceived by an apple. And today we're still being deceived by apple, right? There you go. I'll, I'll drop a mic and walk out. It, it, it's, it's a new form, but it's the same old trick. We've always heard it said, or at least I have. I don't know if you've heard this before. New levels, new devils, right? Y'all heard that before? I, I'm starting to believe it's more like this. New level. Same devil. I'm starting to think he's not that creative. That he's just learned how to do a different process, but at the root, it's the same old trick. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. It's, it's the first recorded trick of the enemy to Adam and Eve, right? And he comes up to Eve, and God has told Eve that she cannot eat from one tree in the garden. He says, these are all these trees. You can eat from any tree, apple, orange, whatever you want to eat. But there's one tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you cannot eat from that tree. So enjoy the 10 million other trees, but don't touch that one tree, right? Fast forward, the enemy shows up on the scene. Here's the first thing he tells Eve. Didn't God say you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Isn't that interesting? No, that's not what God said at all, right? And she actually goes on to say it. She says, no, you know, here's what he said. We couldn't do this. And then he says, that's because God doesn't want you to know what he knows. That's because God doesn't want you to be like him. 
And so the oldest trick in the book was a lie, watch this, to get Eve to doubt the goodness of God. And so we're still dealing with things that the enemy's doing to try to trick us, and the main root of it is to try to get you and I to doubt the goodness of God. Because if the enemy can't keep us from winning, if he can't keep us from being victorious, then he will do all he can to try to keep us from walking in the awareness of that victory. He can't keep you from winning. He can't keep you from heaven. He can't keep you from blessings. He can't keep you from the promises of God. But what he will try to do is to keep you from walking in the awareness of those things. So here's what I've come to the conclusion of. When it comes to our enemy's plan, we may be dealing today with different tactics, but it's the same old trick. We may be dealing with different tactics. You might have, you know, you're experiencing one tactic, you're experiencing another, you're experiencing another, but at the root of all three of those tactics, it's the same old trick. And so I want to put that trick on blast for a second this morning. I believe it's still the oldest trick in the book. It's still the trick he's using. It's still the trick that he's successful with. It's the trick he'll use until the day Christ comes back and sends him to the lake of fire. It is the trick that he knows works, so why would he change it, right? And here's the trick, deception. The oldest trick in the book, the trick that he's still using today is the trick of deception. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 6 for a second. I want you to watch what I'm talking about. It says that the enemy sends him different letters. And what are they saying? Come off the wall so we can what? Talk. Stop working so that we can have a conversation. And Nehemiah says, you're trying to trick me. Well, I'm not coming off this wall so that we can have a conversation. Here's what they wanted. They wanted him to come off the wall so they could kill him. And so there's deception there. And then, if that's not bad enough, he says, no, 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 no. They send a fifth letter, and this time we get more context of what it says. And it says, rumor has it that you're building this wall for your own good. Rumor has it that it's all about you being king. There's, there's deception there. There's a lie there. The enemy is telling a story, a lie, a story. It's interesting in our culture we often will call a lie, what, a story. Remember that when you were a kid? And, Are you telling a story? Right? And we were talking about a lie. Telling a story to try to get Nehemiah to stop working and to start worrying. So let's take that word deception for a minute. I want to I define it for you, okay? The word deception, it's defined as encouraging people to believe information that's not true. It's fooling people into believing a lie. Now, here's why this is important for you to understand the difference between deception and just a lie. We are all completely aware that the enemy is a liar, right? If somebody said to you that the devil is a liar, right? Y'all know that. Like, nobody's surprised, but nobody's going, what? He is? I remember those sayings that the devil's talking, he's what? Lying, right? Like, we, 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 all of us know that the devil is a liar. But here's what deception is. Deception is getting us to believe that lie. So it's, it's one thing to tell a lie, but it's another thing to tell a lie so well that we believe the lie. If you have children, you know what it's like for them to come and lie to you and the lie be so crazy that you know, you're like, okay. You know what I mean? I was sitting there talking to Casey Ray yesterday, and she was talking to me about dinosaurs. And she said, do you know that so-and-so dinosaur is the size of two townhouses? And I was like, I don't think so. I could be wrong, I'll be honest with you. But I'm, I spent like the next three hours going, okay, that's, did you, did I, I don't think that's true. So the idea that he's a liar is not a surprise to us. It's the concept in which we somehow are deceived into believing the lie. And every time that the enemy lies to us, he starts by telling a story. For example, he's telling some of you stories right now. He told some of you stories last night. Some of you were listening to a story all week. Some of you, the story is like this. Some of you, he's telling you a story of the fact that you'll never change. Right? For some of us, we're being told the story that we're bad parents. For some of us, we're being told the story that nobody cares about us or that we can't trust anyone. 
Some of us are being told that story that there's something wrong with us because everybody else seems to manage it well, but we can't manage it well. Some of us are being told the story that, you know, we'll never find anybody who loves us. Or every time that we find anybody who pretends to love us, they're going to treat us like the past person treat us. Some of us are being told stories like we'll never be able to get anywhere financially or we'll never be able to move any way up in any ladder or find any success because it always comes back. Some of us are being told stories about our past and our family and you'll always be that way. It always starts with a story. And our enemy's goal is to lure us in to be able to pounce and accept and embrace the lie at face value. That's what he wants. Listen to me. The enemy does not want you to interrogate his story. He doesn't even want you to think twice about it. The Bible says that we should take every thought captive and and make it submit to Christ, okay? What the devil doesn't want you to do is to take the story you're being told and go, now wait a minute. Let, let, me, let me apply that to Scripture for a second. Let me apply it to what God's been telling me. Let me ask my spouse about it. Let me ask my pastor about it. Let me just take a second and interrogate this story. He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to hear the story and take it at face value. He wants you to take it and run with it and build your entire life on it and believe it to a point where a lie becomes truer than truth. Isn't that interesting? So I started thinking about this message, and I'm like, but how does he do it? You know what I mean? Like, if we know the devil's a liar, if, if that's not a surprise to us, then how is it that we continue to find ourselves in these moments where we are actually accepting and embracing his stories? And all of a sudden, I realized this thought. The reason his stories are successful is because they start with a seed of truth. You know what I mean? The the, the reason why those stories are able to be successful against us is because if you really break it down, if if you peel apart the story he's telling, somewhere at the bottom is just a little bit of truth. You ever heard that saying that every lie has a little bit of truth? You know what I mean? And if he can build, no matter how crazy the story is, no matter how bizarre the story is, he can tell you some crazy things about you. And as long as they have just a little bit of truth, then there's something in us that wants to embrace it more. I'll give you an example, all right? I'm going to tell you a story about the time that I was in a plane crash, all right? This is important. Um, If you could see my wife at this moment, uh, she does not have a face of concern. She does not have a face of thank you, God, for saving my husband's life. She has a face of disgust. The reason for that, anytime I tell the story, I start to, we'll be, we'll be at like lunch with somebody, right? And we'll be talking about a, some kind of plane incident. I'll be like, I was in a plane crash. And she's like, no, you weren't. You know what I mean? Just that, oh, she was like, you were in a plane fender bender. You know what I mean? Like you weren't in a plane crash. And I'm like, but I was though. You know, like I survived. Like, you know, the movie Lost, it was, a, or the show Lost, it was about my life. Like that's, that's how intense this was. So, so let me explain it to you. Uh, back in Memphis, I had a friend whose job was he did insurance for crop dusting and different things like that. So he had his own plane, a little two-seating plane, three or four seats, whatever it was. And he told me one day, he said, I'm going to take you flying. And I was like, let's go, right? I deserve, I'm, I'm holy, I should be in the air, right? Me and angels, I should just where I should be. And so he, we get in the plane, and we go up in the plane, and we're flying. And at one point, he gives the plane to me. I've got the little handle thingies. <laughs> I don't know what they are. <laughs> You know, if, if you're in the aviator, I'm, I apologize, okay? And so I'm just, I'm, I'm like top gunning it up. You know, I'm like Tom Cruise point two. You know, just maverick, just doing this thing. And, and so we get ready to land, and he takes it back from me because he doesn't want to die. And we begin to land, and as the plane lands, the front wheel that it's supposed to catch first, it malfunctions. And so when the plane touches the ground, the front wheel caves in. And when it caves in, the plane just nosedives into the ground. Now, it crashed about a foot and a half, okay? Like, that's, it went from, like, here to the ground. And it was, but it was devastating for me. The, like, you know, ambulances and News Channel 3 and none of that happened. But, but uh, you know, the, 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 I didn't know what happened. I thought I wrecked the plane, you know? Like, and, and so the nose hits the ground and, you know, wires are popping out, oil spitting everywhere. And I'm like, Samuel Jackson, like, these snakes on this plane. You know, I'm just trying to get off of it, figure it all out. And I, here's the crazy thing, though. I get off the plane, 
And there was a young man in our church who's, who's now a pilot, actually, and he wanted to be, uh, he wanted to go on, on a flight with him, and he was waiting to fly after us. And him and his mom and his dad were on the runway watching us land, and they saw me almost die. Now, I walked out of it perfectly. I didn't even have a scratch on me, you know what I mean? But, but it's important for you to understand that, you know, anybody ever says, do you know anybody who survived a plane crash? You tell them, yes, I do. <laughs> to God be the glory. That man's a miracle walking, you know what I mean? So sad. Darla gets so mad at me when I tell that story. And I'm like, but babe, I was, I mean, it was, there was a plane. And it, it doesn't work anymore, you know what I mean? Like it went from standing great to being bent. That sounds like a plane crash. To me. And she's like, but you can't tell people that you were in a plane crash. Because when you say plane crash, they're like, imagine it falling like, you know, thousands of feet from the sky and people screaming and Final Destination Part 13. Like, that's what they're imagining. And I'm like, well, no. Like, but sort of true. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I get it. It's not true, but it's sort of true. Like, there's like, there was a plane. And I was in it, and some oil spilled. Like, like, there is some truth, but I get that it's not true. Like, like the way the story is told, I'm, I might embellish a little bit. You th- I, I get it. I get it. I embellish a little bit. And maybe the, maybe the enemy embellishes a little bit. See, what if the enemy is a master at setting traps by using just a little bit of truth? You know what I mean? Like, what if he can come to you and just use just a little bit? It's sort of true. It's a little bit of truth. And if he can use just a little bit of truth, something in us, we, we attach to that. Because we understand that it was a plane. You know what I mean? Like, it, it did happen. And so we can build a story on that little bit of truth. And the enemy can set this trap and get us off of a little bit of truth, and then he just takes the story and runs with it and embellishes it, and now we are believing the story he told because it was founded on a little bit of truth, sort of truth. And I think we struggle identifying the story that the enemy's telling because he doesn't announce it as a trick. He don't run in with like the pointy tail and the pitchfork, you know what I mean? Like, ooh, I'm gonna trick you. Ha! <laughs> See if you can shake me. Yeah, you know, it's like it's not, it's not like that. Like he 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 manipulates the truth. And he comes in looking like people we love and people we know, and he comes in a lot of times looking like our own insecurities. And he manipulates the truth. He takes a little bit of the truth. Let me show you what I mean. Nehemiah chapter six. You're rebuilding this wall because you're gonna revolt and you're gonna make them worship you as king. He was rebuilding a wall, right? Like there is a little bit of truth to that. Now, he ran with that story. Where do you even get that, enemy? I started rebuilding this wall for the people so they could worship God. And now the story that you're telling is that I am not only rebuilding the wall to revolt, but I'm rebuilding the wall to make me king? But you can see that Nehemiah does legitimately have concern because it's got a little bit of truth. And he knows that when a story gets out with just a little bit of truth, people will run with it because somebody will say, wait a minute, Nehemiah is rebuilding a wall to revolt and to become king? That's not true. No, it's not. But he is rebuilding a wall. You know what I mean? And it starts, for example, the enemy told me I'm a terrible parent. That's not true. No. But my kid did make a mistake. Right? And then we run with that. Well, you know, the enemy's telling me that my that my marriage is broken. That's not true. No, but we did have a fight. And we start building on just a little bit of truth. 
and now we're taking lies and stories, but because they're founded on just a little bit of truth, it catches us, and we embrace it, and we run with it, and we allow the enemy to overtake it and to embellish it. But we struggle calling it out because it has a little bit of truth. Because here's what I'm learning about the enemy. If his lies are too obvious, I won't fall for them. You know what I mean? Like if he just comes out point blank and gives me something that I know is, is, is just, out, just out of mind, like I'm not going to believe him. And so what he does is he builds a case using real evidence from our past and from our present. Every story that the enemy has ever told you, every story, the one he told you about God, the one he told you about church, the one he told you about tithing, the one he told you about your marriage, the one he told you about your kids, every story the enemy has ever told you, if you peeled it apart at the center of it would be a little bit of truth. Church is full of hypocrites. That's not true. But you did at one time come face to face with a hypocrite. You know what I mean? It's just a little bit of truth and, and then just takes off with it. But here's the interesting thing about tricks. I don't know if y'all have ever seen a magic show or been in person for some type of magician presentation. But if you watch it enough, you'll learn that every magic trick has a tail. Every trick has a tail. It's interesting because one of the tricks that happened that night at House of Cards is this guy had a floating table. And, you know, people had been drinking, so they were a little bit easier to be, you know, tricked, let's just say. Um, but I was completely sober. And so I'm watching, and this guy starts talking about how this table is like possessed by a spirit. And he gets it, and he has this cloth over it, you know, and he's doing all this little stupid stuff. And all of a sudden, he picks up the table by, by the tablecloth. He's holding the tablecloth and the table, and the table goes over here, and he's like, woo. And the table goes over here, woo. And people are like, oh, my goodness. Like, there's a lady on the front row. She's losing her mind. She's like, babe, babe, babe. And I'm like, you don't think it's interesting that he had moved these, these hands right here? Because if the table could really float, couldn't he just let it go? But every trick has a tail. If you pay enough attention, if you ever wonder, well, how do, how do I overcome the deception of the enemy, because what we're talking about in culture today, it sounds like he's pretty, you know, he's shooting 100% out here, right? Like there's really no way that we just kind of have to deal with it and struggle with it, and when we find ourselves in it, we hurt, we move on. No, what if, what if, what if there's a tail? What if there's something we could look for and go, hey, 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 real quick, enemy, I know you said the table floats, but if the table floats, let me see your hands. You know what I mean? What if there was just a, a real way? To be able to tell, what, what, here's what I'm saying. What if I gave you a lie detector? I ain't talking about, like, the little things to hook you up. What if I gave you a practical way that when you walked out of this church today and the enemy comes at you with a story, right, starts trying to tell you a story about your marriage, tries to tell you a story about your kids, tries to tell you a story about God and your relationship with God and, and your salvation and your faith. And start, what if there was just like this lie-detecting process that you could put into motion and you'd be able to tell right there if it's a story or if it's true? Or what if it's a trick or what if it's true? So I'm about to give you the way to do it. You ready? In order for you to deceive anything, you have to start by diminishing it. That's the tale. In order for the enemy to deceive you about anything, for him to deceive you about your relationship with God, he has to diminish your relationship with God. In order for him to deceive you about your marriage, he has to diminish your marriage. Uh, let me give you some practical examples in case you're not following with me, all right? Anytime you want to deceive anybody about anything, it starts by diminishing. I'll give you an example. 
A couple Fridays ago, we had a Friday night at home, my wife and I, we had a real busy week. We got really excited because we were going to get some food to go, sit on the couch, watch, you know, Survivor, whatever it is we're watching, and just kind of veg out for a couple hours, right? You know, give the kids devices and go, go play outside in the street and just, you know, be able to just have some time. I'm joking, but I'm not, but I am. Um, and so Darla said, I'm going to go to Boomba's and get us some pizzas because we like to eat pizza from Boomba's. And they also had these pretzel sticks. And you get these pretzel sticks with this cheese, this melty cheese. All right, I'm trying to get y'all like, you know, oh, man, we need to go eat something. Uh, and so they did melty cheese. And I have learned, you know, the Lord has given me wisdom on how to eat this. So not only do I eat the pretzels, but I eat the pizza crust in the cheese after I eat the pizza. Right? Because just, it just makes sense. That's how God created things. It's manna. It's, it's manna. Cheese is manna. <laughs> Should. America, manna, Amer- okay, moving on. Um, here's the problem. My youngest daughter loves cheese. Like, she's the kind of person that just stands in the kitchen and eats cheese. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like gets cheese with cheese. Like, it's just, it's weird. And so when Darla got home, Darla doesn't like the cheese. So I get the entire bowl of cheese to myself. All right, how many times can I say cheese in Wednesday already? Um, and so I'm so excited. I'm sitting on the couch, and then all of a sudden I hear Casey Ray go, what'd y'all get to eat? And I know, I immediately know, if she finds out I got this cheese, <laughs> she's going to eat my cheese. And some of y'all are so great at parenting that you're like, you should share your cheese with your daughter, you horrible person. And I would say, get a life. <laughs> that cheese is good. She eats veggie straws off the ground. She don't need my cheese. You know what I mean? I'm wasting cheese on an eight-year-old. And so I hear her coming in, and I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? I have to deceive her. I have to figure out some way for her not to eat my cheese. And I'm thinking on the fly, right, in my M&M skills where I'm trying to off the dome. And she walks in, and she goes, is that cheese? <laughs> like Urkel. <laughs> Didn't he have a tagline about cheese? I don't know what it is. And I looked at my cheese, and here's what I told her. I said, It's spicy. She said, what? I said, see them little red things? She said, yeah. I said, those are peppers. And they're spicy peppers. And she goes, oh. I said, you don't want this cheese. It's spicy. <laughs> Promise, y'all. Pray for me. I need Jesus. I said, but I can go get you some cheese from her. She said, yeah, it's good. We went in and made her some fruit. Came back down, sat down. Darla just looking at me. It's like, he working on me. You know what I mean? Like. I had to deceive her. Some of y'all right now, you're like, that's so wrong. How could you deceive your child? You do it. You're constantly diminishing stuff. Here's an example. You're eating that dessert and they want somewhere to go, oh, you won't like this dessert. You don't like this chocolate on top of chocolate on top of chocolate. Trying to, what was mom and daddy doing? Nothing. Why was the door locked? Protection. Robbers. We was wrestling. <laughs> you diminish things to deceive. Am I right? Right? Anytime you want to deceive somebody, the trick, the tell is are you diminishing something first? Because if I'm diminishing it, I can deceive you. If the enemy's trying to diminish you, if the enemy's trying to diminish the love of God or the grace of God or the power of God, you can guarantee he's trying to trick you. If he's diminishing you and your righteousness, even though you are made righteous in Christ, why does he come after things that God's already tried to affirm us in? Because he's trying to diminish us. I'll tell you how capital G God is. That he knew that when Jesus went in the wilderness that that the enemy was going to try to deceive him, right? He knew he was going to try to trick him. So God said, I need to prep you with a couple of things. So when you walk into the wilderness and he comes and tries to deceive you, he won't be able to because I'm going to tell you something. But he says, here's how he's going to try to trick you. He's going to try to diminish you. So I'm going to tell you from day one that you are my son whom I love. And with whom I'm well pleased. You are my son, identity. Whom I love, affection. Who I'm well pleased, affirmation. 
because God knows that the enemy's going to try to put you down, so he lets you know who you are in him so that he can prep you by lifting you up. Anytime, anytime you are being diminished, anytime God's love is being diminished, anytime God's grace is being diminished, anytime your marriage, your kids, your parenting skills, your finances, your dreams, your hopes, your faith, your job, your career, your ministry, your anointing, your calling, anytime it's being diminished, he's tricking you. He's tricking you. How do I know the enemy's tricking you? Well, is he diminishing you? Because here's what the enemy will never do. He'll never trick you by saying, you're made righteous because Christ is righteous. Well, thank you, devil. He'll never come at you and say, you're saved by the grace of God. He'll come at it from the other angle and say you're saved by your works, but you're terrible at it. That sounds like diminishing to me. And the Spirit of God said, you're trying to deceive your child by diminishing what they already have. And the enemy is constantly trying to deceive God's children by diminishing what they have and who they are. And so I got a way for you to fight it, but I even got a, before we get into that, I got a fun little way for you. When I was growing up, I'm an 80s baby, 1984, which means I was a 90s kid. We had this cereal, and this bunny rabbit was like the trademark of this cereal and he would try to come in and take the cereal from the kids you know what I mean somebody would end up fighting the bunny rabbit and they get the cereal back and they always had this tagline you remember it let's try this again let's try it on on the same time let's pretend like we're a massive BTS group all right you're welcome Erica count of three we're gonna say you ready one two three What if we walked out of here today with this? Silly devil. Tricks are for kids. Quit trying to trick me. I'm going to turn your trick upside down. How do I do that? Because if you're going to diminish me, I have to be able to constantly remind you of who I am in Christ. Because for you to put me down, i got to lift him up. Silly devil. You're coming at the wrong person because you're not attacking me anyway. It's not about my gifting. It's not about my power. It's not about my ability. I am operating and walking and moving and living and serving through the power of God. So silly devil, you're tricking the wrong person. You're tricking the wrong person. But we got to call it out because when lies aren't confronted, Callings are not fulfilled. See, I'm the kind of person that believes that God's got a calling on every one of your lives. I'm the kind of person that believes that God's already got a future plan for you, and it's everything you want, and it's everything you desire according to your heart, according to Scripture. I'm the kind of person to believe that God sends you to victory for a reason because there are people that not only need to know Jesus through you, but there are people whose lives are going to be changed through you. But when we believe lies, we lose callings. When we believe lies, we lose our marriages. When we believe lies, we lose our kids. You know, this lie that you're a bad parent, well, it is true. I did yell at my kid, so therefore I must be a bad That's diminishing me. What if even the fact that I yelled is forgiven by the grace of God? Here's what I'm trying to say. What if the enemy's story is not my story? Is it possible? Is it possible that he doesn't get to decide? Is it possible that even though he has a little bit of truth, it's not the real story. Because let's just be real for a second. Let's take this plane crash story. You see how it can go either way? If you're me and you want sympathy, 
you can make it make sense that you were in a plane crash. If you're Darla and you have a brain, you can make it make sense that it's not. I think really when it comes down to it, it's what story we select. Because some of you can be with me, like, yeah, I think you were in a plane crash, Pastor. We're going to start praying for you, God's healing. We're going to pray that God gives you a plane. (laughs) I'm kidding. A little hot wheel plane. Some of you are like, Troy, you need to quit telling that story. Don't ever tell that story ever again. That is a lie from the pits of hell. You select your story. See, this this is how we fight the lies of the enemy. We, We identify it through being able to recognize that he's trying to diminish us. Ooh, he's trying to diminish the word of God. That's a lie. Ooh, he's trying to diminish my ability to be a husband or a wife. That's a lie. Ooh, he's diminishing me about my finances. That's a lie. He's diminishing my faith. He's diminishing my righteousness. He's diminishing God's grace, God's love. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. We can identify it. But then what? Then we got to select the story in which we believe. Watch this. Let's go back to Nehemiah for a minute. Watch this. I told you at the beginning that I was going to highlight the fact that the fifth time they come with an unsealed letter. Now, if you're not careful, you'll read that and just read right over it and not really understand what it means. But a letter, to back in that day, you know, we didn't have Instagram and Facebook. You couldn't give somebody something instantly. It was a process to get any kind of information to somebody. And so it would touch a lot of hands. So, for example, let's just say I was trying to get a letter to Andrew. But to get it to Andrew, it'd have to start here and go to you 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 before we get to Andrew. That was kind of the concept. But most of the time, the letter was sealed. So even though other people were touching it, they didn't know what it said. But the fifth time, because of deception, the enemy sent the letter opened. Because their thought is, as it goes from hand to hand to hand to hand, these people might open it and read it. Watch this. And now they've got to decide for themselves whether they believe that story or what they know about Nehemiah. So when they come at Nehemiah, that's the fear in Nehemiah is he's going, oh my goodness. Because if it was just me against the enemy, I'm standing tall. But now you're telling me that other people have read this and I don't know which story they're going to choose. So what if they choose to believe that I am building this wall to revolt? What if they choose to believe that I am, you know, trying to be king? So he's in this weird place. In every situation, church, there are two stories. The enemy's tricks and God's truth. In every situation. In every situation. Well, you don't know. In every situation. Well, this is my first time in church. In every situation. The enemy doesn't start fighting you once you start coming to church. Now, he might you know, bulk up a little bit because now he knows you got something on your side, but you've been being attacked by this your entire life. And there's always been two stories, the enemy's tricks and God's truth. But God has given us the ability to choose the dialogue that we believe and that we respond to. One night, I'm getting ready to put Casey Ray down for bed and and we have a routine and this particular night it was time to read a book. And I don't do it a whole lot, so a lot of times I'm, it's the first time I've ever opened that book, you know, and so I'm getting ready to put her to bed, and she says, hey, you know, can we read a book? I said, sure, what book do you want to read? She has, like, these shelves built on the wall with all the books lined up, and she goes, ooh, the blue one, and I said, okay, and she goes, get that one. It's called, uh, What Should Danny Do? And I was like, that's a weird name for a book, so I go over, and I get the book, and I open it up. She tells me what page. We open up, and we're reading a situation that little Danny is in. Little Danny's at home with his brother, and they're making pancakes or something stupid. I don't know what they're doing. And his little brother squirts orange juice in his eye. And I'm reading, I'm like, you know, kill him. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like. And I'm reading it, and I get, I flip the book, and it says, you know, it has these, these two statements. It has like a stop sign, and it has these two statements. I'm like, what is this? And I read, it says, if you re- it says this one, it says, if, if Danny wants to respond by, you know, putting apple juice in his brother's eye, turn to page 67. 
Then the bottom says, if Danny wants to forgive his brother and move on, go to page 32. And I'm like, Casey, what is this I'm reading? Like, you know, what is this magic that I'm reading here? What is going on? And she's like, the way the book goes, Daddy, she goes, depending on what decision you make, it takes you to a different outcome in the book. I said, I've never heard anything like this before. She said, yeah. I said, so in the book, there's two different stories? See, when I grew up, we only had one story in a book. You know what I mean? Like it just, you know, this was the story. This is how it ended. You read it. We're in a whole nother world. Balloons are flying in the air. You know what I mean? Cool stuff's happening. We got two stories in a book. And so I'm like, every time I read this, we get to decide? And sometimes she would decide the wrong one just for fun. She's like, I want to see what happens to Danny. And I'm like, you are evil. But I just thought it was so cool because I'm like, so I can choose which story. And depending on which story I choose, it depends on the outcome of the story. So I can choose whether I listen to the enemy's tricks or God's truth. And which story I choose to believe dictates which direction I go. So think about it like this. A little bit of truth. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's truth. The enemy's story is one of condemnation and one of you continuing to try to make yourself clean. God's story is one of Jesus Christ coming and dying on a cross for our sins. See what I mean? So there's a little bit of truth. You are a sinner. But depending on which story you choose, the impact is different. We could go through the Bible all day with God's grace is sufficient. I'm a sinner. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, he said, uh, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. You ever been there? Man, I keep trying to do right, but I keep doing wrong. I keep trying to stop doing wrong, but I keep doing it. See, that's truth, because every one of us have been there. And we can go with the enemy story that we're never going to change, and there's nothing good about us, and that we're just destined to be bad, so we might as well throw our hands up in the air and enjoy hell. Or we can take God's truth and the fact that we've been forgiven by grace and that grace is sufficient. See what I mean? It's which story we choose. Now, let me tell you this. Matter of fact, let me do this. Everybody stand with me for a second. I'm bringing this to a close, but I want to share this last part. Ben, go ahead and come up here. Prayer team, I'm going to invite you down. I feel like sometimes y'all listen better when you're standing, so I always try to save the knockout punch for once you stand up. Go ahead and stretch. Get ready. Put your phone down. Ain't nobody on Facebook. They all at church. This was the cool part for me. I'm thinking about this book concept, right? And I'm deep in this for me personally. Can I tell y'all, all my sermons are is you allowing me to sit on a couch and explain my problems in life to you and how God has helped me with them. And if you can walk out and apply it to your life, cool. Thanks for coming. So I'm processing this, and I'm like, oh, God, it's so true in my life. Every situation that I faced, there was a little bit of truth, and I really got to choose whether I followed the tricks of the enemy or the truth of God. And sometimes we don't want to follow the truth of God because it just brings a spotlight on the truth, right? Which is that we failed or that we messed up. But instead of allowing the word of God to do what it's supposed to do, which is to bring you relief that it's not about you, but it's about the grace of God, we allow it to just be a spotlight on our mistakes. And again, we start to really believe that the lie is better than the truth to begin with. And the enemy just continues to deceive, to deceive, to deceive. And I was praying, I think it was Friday morning, I was praying about this, and I, it was so crazy to me. Here's the thought I had. I hope y'all can roll with me on this, because sometimes I can't quite articulate what the Lord told me. He said, you realize that the promise of the right decision for Danny is already in the book. Now think about this. You don't make a decision and then have to go get a different book. It doesn't say like to be continued, go purchase this book, and when you purchase that book, it's, it's, it's in the book. It's there. It's not, is it in the book? It's whether or not we will choose 
to follow the story that will uncover the promise that's already in the book. What does that mean for you and for me? God's promise is already available to us. A healthy marriage is already available. Strong finances are already available. Freedom, freedom is already available. Forgiveness is already available. God's calling your dream. It's all just sitting there on page 67 waiting for you to see it. It's just a matter of whether or not you will choose God's story or the enemy's. So that's my message to you. Whatever it is, whatever you've been asking for from God, whatever you believe God promised you, forgiveness, deliverance, a brand new self, transformation, the ability to forget the past and move forward in the future, whatever it was that God promised you, God knew, not old, knew, whatever it is, please listen to me. It's not about whether or not you do anything correctly. It's not a question of whether or not God is faithful to do it. He's already done it. It's just whether or not we choose to walk in it. This is a shameless plug, but I don't feel like I've made my point yet. I talk to people in church all the time, and they want community. You know, I want community, I want community. Want friends. And then you have a church like ours that says, hey, out in the lobby is small groups of good people who are normal who just want to sit and do life with you. And watch this. And when you walk out those doors, if you'll hang a right and you make another right, there's a little room we have back there called the Dream Team Care Room, and there'll be a growth track class and there'll be a process to learn. And here's why I'm telling you that. The question is not whether or not those things will exist today. They're there. Here's the mind-blowing thing. You ready? Every Sunday that you've ever come to victory, that room was there. It was whether or not we chose to go right or to go left. Man, that's got to set us free. Everything that God's promised us is there for the taking. It's just will we quit believing his lies and settling for less than what he's already promised us? I thought it was cool that the plane that Nehemiah was in was called Oh No. It's a prophetic word for us. The enemy's like, come here. And our answer's what? Oh no. <laughs> I should have worked that in a sermon. Couldn't have given that to me on Wednesday. Come on, just believe this. Oh no. Come on, just settle for this. What is it? Oh no. So what story you choose. I, I got I to gotta close, but I'm going to set you up for a couple things. Number one, the first thing you got to choose is the story of salvation. If you're in here and you are not saved, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. The grace is sufficient. The promise is available. But you got to walk away from your ability of trying to do it on your own and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I challenge you secondly, if you're saved, it's the story of baptism, of being baptized in water and coming out of that water and this church celebrating with you and what God's done in your life. And then thirdly is that story of you walking with Christ. And that's a lot of things from, of course, we've talked about small groups and dream team, but part of that is just prayer. It's just prayer. You walking down and saying, hey, I'm struggling with something. Can, can you pray for me? So I'm going to say a prayer over us, but I'll, here's my mission to you. If you're in here and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, I want you to do that this morning. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but when we get done praying, I just want you to come down to one of our prayer team partners and say, hey, I just gave my heart to Jesus. What do I do? We've got resources. We've got people who want to walk with you. I think it's important. Maybe you're saved and you want to grab somebody after service and say, hey, I want to get baptized. Maybe you're dealing with something and you need to come down. You just need to have prayer. And certainly every person who walks out today should sign up for a small group or go to a dream team or find some way to walk out the Christianity life with other people. Amen. So I'm going to pray, but the ball's in your court. Father, we pray right now. Thank you. Thank you for the tools to be able to expose the lies of the enemy. And it's not just lies, it's deception. It's us believing the lies that he's telling. 
But let us understand that every time, every time we hear something that diminishes us, that diminishes your word, that diminishes your love, that diminishes your grace, we'll know he's tricking. He's tricking me. And God, give us that prophetic, oh, no. Oh, no. We will not follow that. I pray for every person in here that's about to give their life to you, Jesus, that not only would they pray the prayer, but they would step out of their seats and look for help in walking it out. For those that are saved, they'd be baptized and be able to walk out saying, this is my life that I'm giving to you. For the person in here that needs prayer, for the married couple that needs prayer, for the child, for the student, for the young adult that needs prayer. Just continue to move us and make us healthy today. Help us to choose your story, God. And we do that with accountability and people in our lives. We do that by studying your word. Thank you, Jesus. Real quick, if, if you're in this place and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, listen to me. The Bible says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth and you shall be saved. So it's believing in your heart out of faith that Jesus died for your sins and it's saying with your own words, Father, I know I'm a sinner. So if that's you, just kind of, you know, I'm going to give you kind of the words to say, but you can make it own for yourself. You just, you just say, Father, you say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I understand that every wrong decision I've ever made has been influenced by sin and that sin leads to death. But that you died for my sin and that your grace is sufficient and that I can walk in freedom with you as my father that I can be cleansed and never do anything by myself again but to walk this life out with you. So Jesus, save me right now. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me of my sins in this place this morning. I give my life to you. I follow you. I worship you. Come on, we're going to begin to worship, and then I want to just open up the altars for those of you that want to pray, for those of you that need prayer. Come on, we belong to Jesus. What an opportunity to just worship and thank him. Come on, right now as you're worshiping, you can be asking God, show me where I'm choosing the wrong story, Father. You can talk to your spouse. Where are we choosing the wrong story? What's God's story? Father, we love you in this place. Move right now in this time like only you can do. I always say only, I, all I can do is preach the word, but Father, you change lives. So right now, let your Holy Spirit move in this place, Father. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.